A word from our sponsor, Von Seger Designs is a small Nebraska custom woodworking business making hand-burned customized wood pieces to be a statement in any room. Working with clients every step of the way, from hand-selecting the wood to customizing the design Von Segrin Designs, makes the process as smooth as possible. Specializing in items from themed bar carts and tables to cutting boards and signs so that you can show your team pride all year round. Show your Husker support in a unique and functional way. When you work with Von Segrin Designs, you support small businesses throughout the region. Allow Von Segrin Design to create a custom, fresh, hand-burned piece wood for your home or business. You can link up with them at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-D-N-E-S-I-1 and at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-N underscore designs. So check them out on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. Uh, go Big Red, and uh, let's start the podcast. to throw down toward the goal line going up ball tipped in the air touchdown Jordan Westerkamp Nebraska wins the game on the final play of the contest oh baby far side back to throw is Martinez now being chased throws it out a flat Burkhead makes a catch sets a tackle 25-20 Rex Burkhead touchdown Nebraska Members of the congregation, welcome back. We uh, we have a very special guest to uh, bring you in our next episode. But before we do that, let's check in with with Drake. How are you doing tonight, Drake? I'm doing well, Fitz. How are you? How's your weekend going? Nice little Saturday. Um, went to a, a track meet and did a couple of things around the house. And now the uh, the pleasure of uh, of podcasting. So I'm, I'm good to go. All right. This. Yeah. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, we have for you tonight, uh, who some refer to him as the architect of Nebraska volleyball, uh, spent uh, 23 years, very successful years at the University of Nebraska uh, between the Big 8 and the Big 12, coached his teams to 21 uh, conference championships. And I'm going to let him tell you how many national championships and just kind of get into it. So we would like to welcome Coach Terry Pettit to Church of the Corn. How are you doing, Coach? Fitz, I'm doing well. Um, I just stepped out of a volleyball practice for the first time in several years. Uh, the um, University of Northern Colorado, a school that I've, um, a program that I've mentored for several years, um, one of their assistants is going to have a baby soon. So they asked me to be a volunteer coach for 20 days, 10 of which will be spent in Italy and Greece. So that's a pretty good job. 
Yeah, I was gonna say that's not that's not a bad trade off for you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you step in to volunteer. Obviously, the resume speaks for itself, and you you were able to turn that into a trip to uh, Italy and Greece. Yes, and uh, yeah, uh, it's um, it's fun. I've worked with um, uh, Lindsay Benson Oates, the head coach there, since she uh, first became the head coach there, and um, have worked as a mentor with her. And so I know I'm very familiar with the team. I've watched a lot of their matches and. And we talk a lot about coaching, but when you're a mentor, you're not allowed to uh, interact directly with a student athlete as a volunteer coach. I can. So I don't remember whether today was the third or fourth practice, but um, it, it allows me to step in. And if I see something, suggest something to a player and suggest something to the coaching staff, one of our assistants is PEIU who was the head coach at Colorado when I was coaching and so we've been friends for many years. So it's it's a very comfortable situation. Well, I know as a as a youth coach myself, and you know various levels, uh, and Drake has has done some coaching. Uh, also, you you're only as good as as the assistants you bring in, and the better the assistants you're willing to bring in, the the better and smarter of a coach you are. So I'm assuming uh, she must be a very very good coach to to bring you in to bring a you know a Colorado head coach in that's that's pretty phenomenal yeah yeah she's she's the she's turned down several um power five jobs in the southeast and the big 12 conference because she didn't have a, a great feel for the administration but you know she's a, she's a wonderful coach how many how much uh with you on staff right now what's the combined years of head coaching on that staff you know, I was only a C student in math, so uh, I don't know. I don't know. But and another person who was in practice today was Jim Stone, who coached for many years at Ohio State, coached the junior national team for at least 10 years. He was there videoing and was is going to make a presentation on blocking. Um, so it, uh, Jim and I go way back. Um, yeah, you know, we both began coaching in 1977, so it w- it was fun to interact with him and stand on the sidelines. And he's going to be a guest on uh, a podcast of mine, where we're going to talk about say 10 or 12 things we would do different if we were coaching today from what we did when we were coaching. And the game has changed, coaching has changed. Um, Culture's changed. So, you know, I, I, if somebody asks me to do something, it's hard for me to say no. So yeah. you, you, have your, you have your own podcast. Uh, what's that called and kind of what's the structure of your podcast? It's called Inside the Coaching Mind. And I think we're, we're in the middle of our third year. Um, you know, initially I wasn't sure where we were going. So we began with pretty much people from the volleyball community in the state of Nebraska. And we got a good audience right away. And it didn't make any difference whether it was John Cook or Steve Morgan, the high school coach at Ogallala. The the volleyball fan base is so strong. And then we broadened out. So we did the chancellor, did um, um, David Cook, 
who's a great sports psychologist, used to be head of sports psychology at Kansas, has worked with many players on the PGA Tour. Uh, and I think we're going to have some exciting news. I think we're going to we're going to be picked up by a um, a group who will be producing and sponsoring our podcast, um, which will allow us. You know how hard it is, how much time it takes to edit, and it takes a. We're producing both uh, YouTube video and audio, and the YouTube video you you pretty much just have to take what you get. But the audio podcast, which a lot of people listen to, if you want a really clean podcast, takes can take a couple days to edit. And uh, our we have a great producer, David Young, but he is also a, runs a conference center in Austin, Texas. And I'm really glad to be able to turn this over to another group. And I think we'll be ready to announce that that group uh, probably sometime in July. Well, that's congratulations, um, you know, to be able to, like you said, to be able to get that out of your your hands and just kind of free up the the content part of it and focus on that is going to be hopefully yeah. pretty exciting for you. Yeah. So inside the inside the coaching mind, we know and, and our audience knows that you've written several books and you focus on leadership, you focus on coaching, coaching leaders. Who who do you look at or who do you kind of go back to whether it's authors or other coaches yourself to to lean back on and say okay what what would this person do or what what have I learned from that do you have any that you sure you know the other day I, I was uh, it might have been before I was about to fall asleep I was going through and 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 listing the people that have impacted me in a mentor type role and there are several. When I first began coaching in North Carolina, there was a men's basketball coach named Enid Drake who had a, a spittoon beneath his desk, and he taught me um, about patience. Uh, Glenn Potter was at Nebraska when I was there. Glenn was the former men's basketball coach at BYU, and he was teaching, uh, had his doctorate in physical education, was teaching at Nebraska. And you know, I was a pretty naive coach. And so when some players broke a rule, you know, I, I felt pretty devastated. And he actually put things in perspective for me. Um, Warren Bennis, who's a leadership guru, I, he, I, he died recently. He taught for years at USC. Uh, he has a book on leadership and on uh, collective collaboration. Um but there's there's many other there's a group in Lincoln Talent Plus that I've that I've presented for but also learned a great deal from on leveraging talent. Uh, I, I think I enter almost every situation, whether it's a conversation with somebody on a plane, or a magazine article, or a podcast, um, with the idea: How does this apply to me? What's happening here, and what can I? How can I apply it to what I'm I'm doing? My my favorite prod, podcast is probably called The Hidden Brain, which is I believe one of the top ten podcasts. Um, I listen to This American Life as well. Uh, subscribe to probably half a dozen newspapers. So I, I, I try to stay up on things. And um, one of our daughters is a investigative reporter for the Chronicle of Higher Education. She she keeps me. Um, up to date on things in education. 
but um, and and I left out my players um, today when I was in practice. I pulled a, an outside hitter aside and changed her footwork. And, you know, the head coach asked me how I came up with that. And I said it was from watching my own players. In, in other words, most of my coaching, uh, not philosophy, but the technical aspects of volleyball, I learned from watching players and what they did efficiently. And it was sometimes it was different things for different players, but there were some core things that every great player did in certain movements. And you've heard other people say this, that I, the critical thing in coaching is curiosity. You have to, you know, if if I see a team play, it's a basketball team or a football team or a wrestler, you know, I have to ask myself, why is this working? So, you know, watching the Celtics and the Warriors the other night, it was a very interesting game. It was kind of around the world with defense. And, um, but what impressed me the most was the athleticism and the length. And there are certain things I missed from maybe basketball of 30 years ago because it's, it's more difficult to make a shot in the lane than it is to step into a three-point shot. But... Uh, very, I was very impressed with um, with with Boston. I was more familiar with uh, the Warriors, but you, you know, as a volleyball coach, how would I, you know, how would that impact me? Well, it did many years ago. I watched Danny Manning play against Oklahoma in the NCAA tournament, and the game was played at warp speed. Both teams had fifty points at half, which really favored Oklahoma. So I watched that game and said, how does this apply to us? And it was about three weeks later that I said, what if we ran our slide attack, the one-step attack behind the setter, one step faster than everybody else? How would, it, how would it affect consistency? And so when I went and experimented with it, we found it was more effective. We were more consistent. And so... I picked that up from a basketball game. You know, the the idea to think about it came from a from a basketball game. Now, coach, you mentioned a little bit ago too how to harvest and cultivate talent. In your opinion, what is the key for that in when it comes to coaching because there are obviously some coaches that are significantly better at it than other coaches. Well, I I um I believe in, you know, I, I, I wasn't concerned about what a kid couldn't do. I, I, and I didn't recruit many kids where I thought, well, they're pretty good at a lot of things. I recruited somebody that was extraordinary at something. It might've been footwork. It might've been arm speed. It might've been size. And then tried to leverage that. And, and I, you know, that, that kind of fit with, uh, with a professor at uh, the University of Nebraska who focused on talent. And uh, I'm trying to think of his name right now, but he, he actually became a founder of, of, uh, of, a, of a business that became Talent Plus and the talent business. But up to that point, people focused on, well, we got to go work on our weaknesses. We didn't do that at Nebraska. We dealt with them, but our first 25 minutes of practice 
we transitioned better than any team in the country. And every day we went in and got better at that. So that if you thought we were good at that in September, you ought to see us in November. You know, we're, we're going to focus on that. Um, and I don't, I've kind of always thought that way. Um, so Karen Dahlgren came to Nebraska. We didn't know what we were going to do with her. She, she wasn't a particularly strong volleyball player, a walk-on from Bertrand, but had exceptional feet. In her junior year, she goes to Europe and sees the slide for the first time, comes back, and destroyed everybody with it. We were the first team to run it. Teams had no idea how to block it. But it was built around her, the, her quickness and the setter, Tisha Delaney, who was the first setter to set it. Um, so it's, it's um, again, I think it's curiosity. Uh, it's watching athletes move. Uh, a couple of days ago in practice, I'm watching one of the women at Northern Colorado serve, and she jump serves. And I noticed that as she goes to jump serve, she's looking at the floor and then picking up the ball. And so I just went over and said, you know, are you aware of what you're doing here? Why don't you just begin the movement by, pick, by looking at the ball? Now, that might seem like a tiny thing. But once she started doing that, she was more structured and consistent. Uh, they, uh, a right side player at Northern Colorado um, is a very good player, but hasn't necessarily hit the ball hard. And I was watching her in warmups and she, there, she was playing pepper and she, she wasn't using her hips. And the hips are, are the most important thing in athletic movement. You know, these, windmills that we see out on farms and ranches now the, those blades are moving very fast but the key is in the middle the middle of the of the propeller and it's the same with throwing a baseball the same with throwing a football same with hitting a golf ball same with attacking a volleyball it's the hips and yet most of these kids go through club volleyball and nobody's really ever worked with them on that unless they've had a parent or, or uh, an old, older sibling that has done that. So um, I can't, I can't introduce drills anymore. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to stand for two hours of practice, but my eye is the same as, as it's always been. And, it, you know, I have a, one of the games I play is walking through Costco and seeing someone and, and saying, I'll just go up to the woman and say 400 meter runner. And the last, the last one I did that to turn around said, yes. And just recognizing what those athletes look like, you know, that was, that was one of my goals. I, I wanted to have 400 meter runners on the volleyball team. Not that they ran it, but they looked like that. How has, so you, you come into, you find these outstanding players that are really, really good at one thing and um, volleyball can be a little bit different in terms of, you know, position specific in a way. Um, we've, we've seen some changes. What, what was your, uh, style when you were at Nebraska? Did it, did it change? I know we've seen recently where coach cook has kind of trend and it's, you know, who, depending on who he's working with, as far as other coaches where they were these last couple of seasons, they were outstanding as, as a team to team defense but they're also 
really good on attack and when those things go together did you have was there a particular system yeah you... we we you know there there's no question we i thought we were ahead of the curve offensively and i think john john grew up playing defense and i you know i think i think that's still what they're really good at i think this last year you know it's amazing they got to a the final match and and it went five sets and they their attack percentage was the lowest we've ever had at Nebraska by several points, but their defense was that strong. Um, we were uh, in 95, we won Nebraska's first national championship. Our defense was as good as everybody in the country, but our offense was like we were hitting 330 as a team. Uh, it was, that's what we were great at. That's, that's where I think, I was most comfortable. So when I hired or, or looked to hire assistants, then I looked for people that I thought we were either already exceptional defensively or could be trained in that area. So as those players came in, was it the, the players then you recruited, you were really, you had something that was working, you had a model, you had a system, and you were, be, you were able to just kind of plug those players in and just keep that foot on not, the gas. Not real, and not you know, not real, not really. The system adjusted to the athlete. Okay. Um, so, uh, and Allison Weston, for example, she was a middle blocker, but in the fifth rotation, if we needed her pass, she would drop back on the right side of the court, pass, and then she was quick enough to audible to a quick set. You can. She became captain of the U.S. Olympic team. You can't ask somebody else to plug into that. It's, it's dependent on her. Um, but I was much more interested after my first three or four years in Nebraska of recruiting talent over skill. I felt we could train, train skill. And um, without that decision, Nebraska is not a volleyball school. There, there's absolutely no way because we would be going after kids that were the second or third level kid compared to UCLA or San Diego state at the time. But once we made that decision, we were as good or, or better as those team, uh, those teams. We, you know, I never, certainly the last 15 years I coached, I never entered a match where I thought we didn't have better athletes than the opponent. So, so John Cook was from California, as we're all as we're aware, and um, that's volleyball seventies, eighties. You know, it was very, very big, men's and women's, out in in California. What was the was it a was it very difficult to try to convince players from the West Coast or even East Coast to, to come into Nebraska at that time to play, or was I, I really I, I didn't even focus on that. Okay, uh, you know. Uh, uh, we had, you know, we, we had a great player come from Hawaii, great player from Texas, great player from Puerto Rico, but most of ninety uh, percent of our athletes came from Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas, Minnesota, Iowa, and um, they fit the culture. They 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 were comfortable in Lincoln. They a lot of them came from farms or rural areas. They were tough kids. They they already knew how to work hard. Um, so I, I, again, if, if I was interested in skill, I would have maybe recruited California, but I wasn't. 
there were plenty of great athletes within 300 miles of Lincoln that, um, that we could get. Stephanie Thader came out of Eastern Missouri and played for the U.S. national team and was a three-time uh, All-American. What, you know, Weston was from Papillion. Christy Johnson um, never lost an away match in her career in Nebraska. Think about that. She was from, she was 62 and one as the starting setter. She was from Millard. Uh, yeah, uh, several great players. Lisa Reitzma, I never saw play volleyball. I, I saw a video of her playing basketball and said, man, I like the way this kid runs. You know, so she came out of Orange County, Iowa. And then when she came, she was the first kid to leave Orange County for college. It's a, a very conservative Dutch area. Then following her out of the same high school, Nancy Mendering, Metcalf, Nancy Metcalf, plays professional volleyball for a dozen years, plays on the U.S. Olympic team. Those were the kids we went after. You know, the, the, um, So we certainly ended up with highly recruited players. Gracia Lisa Perel from Puerto Rico was highly recruited. But... She fit Nebraska. Her freshman season, she's walking across campus. And I said, Gracia, um, you know, how are things going? I noticed, I noticed uh, you're taking Japanese. Now think about this. Her natural language is Spanish. She has to communicate in English in the volleyball court. And as an elective, she's taking Japanese. And she says, yeah, I love it. This is, plus Gracia means Greece. Her dad named her that. He wanted her to be an Olympian. So it it fit. You know, I, I, I was surprised we got her. I thought, well, she'll go to Florida or someplace close to Puerto Rico. But but she was, she fit right into who we were. Those, there's some striking similarities. Um, I don't want to say comparisons, but how you just described the culture, how you described that the regional recruiting that you were doing and the success that you had, was it was it coincidental or was it intentional that it, the parallels from you and what you were doing and what Coach Osborne was doing around the same time at the university with the football program? Were you guys able to to communicate frequently? Were there ideas you shared? Well, Coach Osborne was very generous with me. Uh, you know, he he asked me to fish with him, and we talked and. I greatly admired him. I, I greatly admired his sense of humility. Um, I, I, we could not have done what we did without the football program because it opened doors from us. Um, if we recruited somebody that wasn't familiar with Nebraska volleyball, at least in the beginning years, there's a good chance their parents were familiar with Nebraska football. So it, you know, somebody asked me, what do you need to build a great volleyball program? And, and at, in the 80s, I answered, you either have to have a window on the ocean or an IBAC that runs for 1,500 yards. <laughs> then you can build a great volleyball program. And, um, and he provided that. So I, I modeled a lot of things that we did in Nebraska. Our, our first uniforms, the first ones that we actually designed, the numerals were very similar to the numerals on Devaney's championship teams. Do you remember what those look like? They have kind of a swirl on them. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And our, uh, the lettering came from the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, which I thought was the best baseball uniform. And all those were always tackle twilled. We never screened anything. Everything we did, we did as well as we possibly could. So when people ask me, you know, what's the secret to Nebraska volleyball? John Cook does everything as well as he possibly can. That's the culture of that program. It, it's whether it's the uniform, whether it's how you prepare yourself for practice or what your behaviors are in the court or what your behaviors are in the classroom. It, it's consistent. It is so ingrained in the culture that that's, that's the way it, it happens. So when programs, when programs falter, and, and uh, it, it's sometimes, it, some of it's luck, you know, in volleyball, previously, you recruited basically three kids a year. If you make two bad decisions, maybe you're no longer a top 10 program. But I think, it, you know, if you're, if you're working, and I hate, I hate to say hard, I think everybody probably burns similar calories. But if you're, if you're working efficiently, if you're focused on the right things, um, you know, I think that's where the consistency comes from. Um, and I don't think, obviously, with the turnover, that hasn't been the case in, in, uh, in sports. In the, in the 90s, you look back at that period of time, we won three football championships, a volleyball championship, couple gymnastic championships, track was in the top five, softball went to a couple college world series. Uh, it tells you several things. One, Bill Byrne was the AD that he was doing a hell of a job. You know, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves for what was happening at that point. Then in, in coach Osborne was probably you know, I, I don't know football certainly as well as I know some other things, but he was an offensive genius. You don't, you don't, you know, so when you replace that person, you have to replace them with somebody as talented. That's hard to do. It's hard for Nebraska volleyball to get better players than the ones they already have. You have to work your butt off to do that. And sometimes it happens. Some, sometimes it doesn't. But Dave Van Horn, you know, he was a great baseball coach. He's still a great baseball coach. Um, but there was a feeling in the department that anything could happen during that decade and into the early 2000s. There was a, that was the case. And, uh, and, then, and then I think hit on a series of decisions and some bad luck. Plus, the, the nature of things changed when we went into the Big 12. It was a much more competitive conference than the Big 8. You know, in the Big 8, Nebraska had to beat Oklahoma in football. We had to beat Oklahoma in volleyball. You get in, now, now you've got to beat Texas when you go to the Big 12. That's a whole different ball game. You go to the Big 10. Um, it's a whole different ball game. So it isn't. It's complex. It's complex. And I, I think one of the things John does really well is he doesn't spend energy on what he wishes the rules were. 
or um, you know what I'm saying, he adjusts. If there's NIL, we'll use it to the best of our advantage. If there's the portal, we'll use it to the best of our advantage. Some athletic departments say, well, let's wait and see what other people do. You can't do that. Um, you got to stay gotta out in front of it. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and you know, I was, I, I was so thankful to see Rhonda's team have such a good year. And, and you know, winning the Big Ten in softball is not easy. And particularly after, after, you know, she had a player and a family or two question her coaching a couple years ago. Man, that knocks the wind out of you. But she didn't. She got better. Her team got better. I, I really have a great deal of respect for that. I respect what's happening in women's basketball. I think Amy knows what she's doing. And you know, she's had some things that haven't worked out for her, but she hasn't complained. She's just, she's just gone to work. Coach, you mentioned earlier uh, trying to pick up the tempo in volleyball after watching a Final Four game with Danny Manning. So I got, I got a two-part question based off of that um, because it ties in really well to one of the Twitter questions we got. What is the key – to maintaining and controlling the tempo in volleyball for one. And the second part is, I feel like this ties in, what's your thought on rally scoring? Has it affected the, the skill of serving? Has it made it more or less important? Um, well, the tempo is a matter of choosing to do something different. I mean, well, if you, you're going to pass the ball flatter, you're going, to, uh, you're going to set quicker to the outside. You're going to take free balls with your hands instead of forearm pass. That all changes the tempo. Um, the other thing you do is that it's not how high you jump in volleyball. It's how quick you are off the floor. And so you train your athletes to be quicker off the floor. Kentucky does with Craig Skinner, who was a former assistant to John at Nebraska and uh, – does that better than anybody. Um, so you, you really have to be a, a student of the game. But speed in every sport wins. You look at that Celtic uh, Warrior game last night. Man, there's nobody coasting out there. There's nobody walking the ball up the court. Everybody is trying to get down to the other end as fast as they can so that they, they have an advantage on offense. The same thing is true in football. You know the teams that the teams that I see in football that can no huddle or flood a zone or um, it would be fun to see what Coach Osborne would be doing now. You know I don't I don't think he would be I think he would be ahead of the curve. I think he's a student of the game and he would figure out ways to uh, to do things. So generally speaking, it, if and if you don't have as much talent as the other team, you better go faster because you've got no chance if the game is slow. So does the, does that tempo then in basketball and football, it's you speed up the more, more opportunities you have possession wise, things like that. Volleyball with where the rules are, you know, your three touches and, and play it over defend. How does, how does that impact it? Are you trying to, and, and then it kind of goes back into the, that second part of Drake's question with the you're forcing decisions decisions before people want to make decisions. So 
Today in practice, we ran uh, a zero tempo tempo quick. That means that the attacker's in the air before the setter sets the ball. Well, these teams are all swing blocking now, and their hands are low. And you go in and do that. If you've got an athlete that can do that and be up in the air before the setter sets the ball, all you, you put down that ball in the first or second play of the match, that other middle blocker's wondering what's coming every time. It's, um, it's, it's, you know, my, I, I guess my volleyball philosophy was I'm going to make the opponent, I'm going to train our players in skills and decision-making to make the opponent as uncomfortable as possible. And, and part of that is speed. Part of it is tactical. Uh, part of it is preparation, knowing who can do what on the other side. Part of it is knowing uh, history of that coach. How does she solve problems? If they get into trouble, what is she going to try to do? And my team doesn't have to know that, but I need to know that. So when it happens, I can make an adjustment. Drake, you asked about rally scoring. Yeah. You know, that ship has sailed, so it it doesn't make any difference what I think. (laughs) uh, uh, I, I think for the fans... What we're doing now is probably just easier. You know, there are some people that say, well, boy, wouldn't it be kind of neat to do the fifth game in the last five points in, uh, uh, where you have to serve to turn the point? Um, I don't know. I, it's a clean game now. Everybody understands it. Um, I don't think serving is tougher because of rally scoring. Actually, for a while, Serving was easier because of rally scoring, because when we first went to it, people were afraid of making mistakes. Now the serving is so good, it's all based on percentages. So the most important percentage is not what percentage of serves do I get in the court. It's how many how many points do we score off every serving opportunity. So if I'm eight, if I if I'm serving and I get an ace or an error every time I'm serving, I'm scoring half a point per opportunity. That's better than somebody who's serving the ball in the court easily, and the other team is sighting out 60% of the time. We're only scoring uh, 0.40, 40% of the time. But there's no question ser- serving... I wish I would have. I wish I would have realized that we could serve that well, that tough. When I was coaching, it would have blown up everybody. But now, now everybody can serve, serve really well. When you, as a as a, I guess coach of leaders now, you're you're teaching leadership. You are right. working with businesses. You go to uh, athletic departments. When you were when you're coaching players. What did you look for to to maybe identify those leaders on your teams? As, whether it's as simple as you know selecting captains or just knowing that who you could depend on to uh, be you know whether it's your coach on the floor, uh, your person that was going to right the ship when things weren't where they needed to be, or you know off the court in the dorms, whatever it might be. What do you look for? Well, there's there's two different answers to that question. Certainly. Um, in all the years I coached, my captain was my setter. 
And I used to say, if, if your captain is not your setter, you've got the wrong person setting, you know, because that person is making uh, a lot more decisions than anybody else. Having said that, though, the captain is really the culture and culture is behaviors. So it's what behaviors are we committed to? Let me give an example. If you don't call the ball loud, you know, if you don't, don't call the ball loud enough, that's not leadership. You know, uh, covering, covering the attacker is leadership. Being 50 minutes before practice and, and uh, getting in a mindset is leadership. Encouraging your teammates is leadership. Um, so we would decide what are the behaviors? What are the leadership behaviors? And, and so if I'm in a community and I see trash on the sidewalk, I'm going to pick it up. That's leadership um, because it means that I'm taking responsibility for my community. On a team, it's taking responsibility for the team, not waiting for somebody else to tell me to do it. And we train that. We train that. And John runs the drill. I run a drill. And when we're working on, say, on a six-on-six -six situation, somebody doesn't call the ball, you're out of here. Somebody else is in. You know, it becomes, it's, it's a habit. Leadership is a habit. Now, there are times that there's more dramatic leadership where somebody might have to, um, I remember many years ago, I was cutting across the Coliseum and I saw football players coming out of the indoor practice facility. And one football player comes running at full speed out of the indoor practice facility and tackles another player. What he was doing, I'm sure it was because he felt that kid was not working hard enough mentally or physically in practice. And I've had, I saw Christy Johnson throw a player out of practice, but, but everybody wants to focus on that. That's, that's the cherry on top of leadership. Okay. That takes some time to build that. What's more important is what happens every day, every day. You know, are, are you, do you have the right uniform, uniform on? Do you have the right mindset? Are you communicating? We don't care how things went before practice. You might've had a great day or a bad day. We can talk about that after practice, but when you step on the line, you're doing everything as well as you possibly can. And that otherwise we can't evaluate you. That's that's awesome in that because when the big the big part now, whether it's education in the classroom, coaching, uh, society is the the idea of building relationships. But there's still I like what you just said though. Once you step you step between the lines, you step on that field, you step on that court for that step hour hours, whatever. You've got to the relationship's going to be there if you trust. And if I'm going to push you as hard as I can. And that's where you go. Players respond to consistency. Uh, and I, I was the same way as a teacher. My first, first class I ever taught at Lewisburg College, we read William Faulkner's short story, The Bear. And I get to class, and the starting point guard in the basketball team is in the class. And he's a freshman. He's very good. And I'm not going to say his real name, but I said, Mr. Smith, what did you think about why, uh, why the boy didn't kill the bear? 
And he says, uh, I didn't read it. I'm sorry, Mr. Petter, I didn't read it. I said, you better go back to your dorm room and read it. Well, all the other kids are shuffling their, their paper. But I, I wasn't being mean. And he, he, was a, he became an A student. I was just saying, these are the expectations here. This, we're not just going through the motions here. I'm not wasting my time. Um, the, I asked uh, Lindsay if I could speak to the team for 30 seconds yesterday. She said, sure. What? And so I, I called them together. I said, I said, look, being coachable is not being a nice kid. You're all nice kids. Being coachable means when a coach shares information, you take responsibility for it. And you don't have to have that coach say it again. And yeah. So I, I said, coach, I'm, I think that's a great point. I think that's a common misconception with a lot of younger kids today is coach to them. Coachable is not snapping back at coach, but they're not, they're oh. still not absorbing the information. No, no, I'm not. And I said, I'm, I'm not interested in managing you for four years. I want somebody we can collaborate with. So if I, if I say call the ball louder, we're, we're done with that conversation. And it's, it's, you've got to give the information. You don't have time, coaches, teachers, we, parents. You don't have time to just say it over and over and over because now you are five minutes behind, two days behind, you know, three games behind, whatever it might be. The ability right. to take, like you said, the ability to take that information and now it becomes your responsibility. Either put it into action or don't. And there's always going to be somebody that's ready to put it into action in, in, in a team that's taking your starting spot or that's taking your playing time, which is right. right. And when you work at this and it, it should take more than a couple of years to establish, make a culture. You, you don't have to do this. The team takes care of it. You know, somebody doesn't go for a ball. The whole team is on them. They, they, this is habit. It becomes habit. And they take it into other areas of their lives. You know, Renee Saunders is one of the best coaches in the state of Nebraska. I, you know, and in talking with her, I can tell she took some of these same concepts into her coaching. And she, she coached, I believe, at Omaha South. Didn't have as much talent. Zero Scott has more talent. But I don't think in either case the talent determined how she coaches. Um, so th that's exciting. It's exciting to see Janet Cruz, a former player who's now in the uh, uh, physician and um, on the medical staff at, in the athletic department at the University of Nebraska. A lot of, lot of former players. Danny Busboom is a head coach at a Final Four team in Louisville. Karen Dahlgren was the head coach at Kansas. Nikki Stricker, the head coach at Montana. Um, Barbie Young is a physician up in O'Neill. These are, these are people that are continue to give to their community, continue to try to build teams. When earlier we talked, Drake asked about the rally scoring and, you know, what the fans enjoy and, and what we see uh, in the pit news, there was a really good uh, article just the last few days talking about getting it into even more than it is now in the mainstream, not on the, paid channels not on the um only streamed only type channels you know instead of you know Pitt plays louisville and they're both two top five teams and they're on the acc network instead of espn or 
whatever network it is what's what is the what's the we know what the challenge is what is it going to take to kind of flip that and let volleyball i think it's the the big 10 has done a nice job the, the reason the big 10 so strong is because they're televised more than any other network and the television is better the pac-12 doesn't even have a color person a lot of the time and the reason is they signed up bad football deal and so they don't have any money but the the big 10 is is the um i think has done has done the best job uh, a lot of volleyball got a slow start because male athletic directors weren't familiar with the sport so they dumped all the money into into women's basketball i want women's basketball to su- succeed volleyball more more young women play volleyball than any other high school sport team sport in the country it's it's the most popular sport in the country. Um, the women's volleyball team in the Olympics received tremendous ratings. So it's going to happen. I think John has really, you know, John pushes for things he believes in. I think he's pushed for that in the big, in the Big Ten. Um, but I don't know. I, I think there there is an advantage in being in a college town. Uh, I wouldn't, it, it, you know, it might be harder at USC. It might be harder at UCLA. Having said that, I'd find a way. I would find a way to to pack the stands. And I think, uh, I don't think some athletic departments have asked enough of their coaches in that regard. You know, the coaches have just said, well, that's marketing's decision. Well, yeah, you can you can say that. But I'll tell you what, if, if the coaching staff at Nebraska Volleyball took that attitude, you'd be playing in the rec center in front of about 400 people. Which is, a, which is obviously the polar opposite of where they could go. Because in my opinion, and I believe it's sustainable, I think they could fill Pinnacle with 18,000 for every game. And it's just more, but, it's more eyeballs. It's well, more, they could, but, but it's a sport. I don't know. It's a sport. Ideally, I think to pick up the speed of the game. Yeah. I, I've only been to a few hockey games, but, but boy, when you're way up there, can you really pick up what's happening? Um, yeah. I, I, I think what they've got going right now is really good. The only thing that I would like to see I would like to see more students closer to the court. And I understand they get money for those tickets. But, you know, you need to make the opponent a little bit more uncomfortable. And you don't do that with with donors. You do that with active students. Well, that, that's, the, that's a yearly conversation with fans regarding football as well. Because every time they move, they move them further away from the field their voice and that pressure, that uncomfortableness that those students can create. Some stadiums still have it and it could be, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, analytical, maybe it's a point, maybe it's two points difference, but that's last year we saw that. Yeah, football. That's, that's all you needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a big supporter of Trev. I think, I think he was the right person at this time for this job. Um, partly because he has a lot of credi- credibility 
in how he handled some tough things at UNO, but also because he has insight into football. And, uh, you know, I think it may take a while here to get things straightened out. I don't, I don't know to this point that he's actually hired anybody in, in the athletic department, but um, I, I think he's very sharp and I think he's collaborative and I think good things will happen. Coach, you talked about how interesting it would be to see Coach Osborne running an offense in football today. What would it look like if you were coaching today? Like being a student of the game, where do you see the next evolution in volleyball going? Well, I think I think I, I would certainly be creative with Libro. Um, you know, when you have a great defensive back and the wide receiver switches to the other side of the field, the defensive back moves with it. And I think there's situationally, most teams play their Libro at angle. But if somebody's running a slide and that kid's hitting to, to right back, I'm going to move that person over there. Even, you know, situationally, maybe it's for a critical point in the match. Now you have to train other people to play other positions to do that. Then I think there's too much, too many people that are followers. So right now, when the setter digs the ball, the Libro is Libro setting in all the teams, but she can't really set with her hands inside the 10 foot line. That might be good for some teams, but some teams might be better off training a technique player on the right side. Somebody's a hitter, but can also set that second ball. You could run a slide off it, a go set to left front, or you, she could dig the ball to the left side player. The left side player could attack it, set a, set to the right side player, set the pipe. Um, I, I think there's there's too much, and, and maybe this is true in every sport, um, too many people <coughs> don't really think about their personnel and the way that we could, the way that we could use this, the way that we could do something different. Um, we ran three different defenses when I was coaching, and it, and it, it confused opponents, but it, it, we just didn't do it to do it. It was based on the tendencies of the opponent. And our kids, you know, were trained to respond in a heartbeat, on a verbal command, what they were doing in each, in each situation. I, the one thing I, I really dislike about sport, I don't like, the, I don't like it when the, foot, when the quarterback looks over to the sideline waiting for the play to be called there. I don't like it when the catcher looks into the dugout waiting for the coach to call. I don't like it when the coach is telling the setter who to set. You know, these these kids are on full ride and some of them are get, getting significant money. The only way we can really value, I think, the money that we put into this is is in, in leadership development. How can, how can we develop leaders if we're telling them what to do at critical points? Uh, it's just an aspect of the game I don't like of, of, in all sport. Sometimes uh, you got to let was, the athlete fail. Well, it just, um, uh, yes. I mean, uh, catchers need to know how to call a ball game. And a, a coach could intervene every now and then, but think of the opportunity for that catcher to develop decision-making. Um, I don't remember... Turner Gill looking over to the coach Osborne, you know, I think, I think he audibled into things depending on the situation. Um, 
so this is a, this is a more recent development in sport. Um, I don't see that in the NBA much. I, I noticed uh, um, Kerr just sits on the bench. Now they may be flashing some things here and there, but the game, yeah, yeah, and and in particular college, we're charged with something else beyond just winning. We're charged with educating people and developing people. Um, here's an opportunity we're missing. Now you can't do it in, in, in soccer. John Walker could yell all he want. Nobody would hear him in soccer. Those players have to figure it out on their own. He, he trains them during the week and they figure it out. Well, and that's, you know, sport, volleyball, basketball, soccer, hockey, you mentioned before the, for me, I guess, in my opinion, that connective tissue is as fluid as the game is volleyballs can be volleyball can be that shorter spurt, but the decision making that has to happen at that moment, the the that's put on the players, that's what I find really appealing because like you said, if you you can't if a player has to stop, think, look, listen, and then come back to the game, that moment's passed. I, I saw us play Texas Texas one year and we were switching defenses on every play. You know, guys were running on the field, whatever. And at some point they just quick they just quick called and you know we had people all over the place you can't you can't do that or or i I don't think you should be able to do that in the pros if you want to do that that's that's your business so you had mentioned you know you don't like the catcher looking in and so instead of providing the information in that moment you're going to use your practice time you're going to go through that how much and i don't know if it's changed and the foresight that you had when you were coaching and the um, kind of the, the evolution that you've, you've brought personally to the game. Did you use questioning with your athletes a lot? Is it, it's kind of become a little bit more apparent now in the classroom, even coaching youth sports, things like that. Were you someone who questioned the players in terms of why are you doing this? What should this look like type of stuff? Or is this, or do you? Oh, sure. Yeah, we were, we spent a lot of time on preparation and, you know, I had individual meetings with a setter. Um, you know, in the beginning, you manage a setter, unless she's really experienced, you manage her and tell her what she's going to run in certain rotations. And then you, um, you coach her. And, and that means if Kerry Walsh is blocking the left side, we're going to run things to the right. If she's blocking the right side, we'll run them to the left. So the setter's looking at the situation and based on what she's been trained in, she's making the decision. By the time they're juniors, you hope you're collaborating with them because she has a better feel for what's going through another player's mind out there. And so I'll go into meeting with her and I'll say, you know, from a tactical standpoint, it, might make sense to run a left in here, but she'll say, yeah, but so-and-so is out of it right now, coach. She won't score on that. And so your the relationship changes. You hope to become collaborative with everybody. Unfortunately, there may be some players that you have to manage all the way through or have someone next to them who's telling them, you know, what's, what's happening here. But the goal is, is collaborative leadership. Does that does that collaborative leadership then 
kind of show itself in a in a timeout in a critical point in a game and you or I've seen it with coach Cook as well where the players are almost giving some instruction in that huddle They're, obviously the trust is built but if you've if you've presented the situations you've questioned you've collaborated and that player in that moment you've got to be able to step back and say okay this is where we're trying to get to and that well, probably I, means success is going to be right there with it. Yeah, I I don't know that players, you know, I think John's very collaborative. Sometimes he stands outside the huddle. Um, I don't know if the players ever are necessarily discussing anything tactical. I think they're, they're, um, they're dealing with how assertive we're going to be coming out of this. What we, you know, from that standpoint, they're coming together. The best teams are players' teams. They're not. They're not coaches. They're not looking over at the coach. That's you know, they solve. They solve the most important things by themselves, and that's effort, energy, um, behaviors. Uh, the coach enters a match on tactical things, and you enter maybe on calling serve you may enter it between between games three um two and three where you've had a chance to see what the opposing team's doing um but yeah i think the more the more you can get players to do with the understanding i'm going to have to train those players to do that there's very few kids that come in that understand the game at the level that you need to have to compete for national championships. Um, yeah, I just, it, it, it has to be trained. There's, I think one of the interesting things, for example, men's basketball, and I don't know, I don't know anybody on the basketball. So I was good friends with Tim miles, but you know, when I watched that team through the first two thirds of the season, everything seemed helder skelter. It, it seemed like, the the lowest three point shooter was as likely to shoot as the best three point shooter, and you know I it just didn't make any sense to me. But at some point, they got structure toward the end of the season. They guarded better. Their decision making was better. So they're competitive, but it's too late. You know the the, the season was all already cast. So they at some point for some reason, they started to focus on behaviors. And how, how you win. How are we going to win? How are we going to beat a team with better talent? And, uh, you know, it was exciting to see how the, the season ended. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it would be a mistake to think that all of a sudden they're going to have the talent that they can just go in and be helder skelter and win. You know, you've, you've got to make the opponent uncomfortable. You've got to make somebody go to their left when they want to go to their right. You've got to make a, a pass to the interior difficult. Yeah. yeah. And that's that having, having the purpose of their performance, like you said, that helter skelter, when you've got on the basketball court, four guys thinking one thing, one thinking the other, it, it's going to change it and it's going to break down. And it, and it didn't, you're exactly right. It didn't seem like it happened fast enough, but eventually when they buttoned those things up, they tightened, um, the whether it was they were competitive the technique and the behavior, then they became competitive. Um, and you're like, why? What yeah. prevented that from happening before? 
and that's you know that's that million dollar question in in coaching and leadership is why couldn't I get to that point before whether it's a player or as a coach and hopefully it, it well here's 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 the thing that I always believed players reflect us you know if I if, if my team's if my team's not competitive if they're not showing energy that's a reflection of on me and my experience with young people is they will give you what you ask for what you consistently ask for they want to play they want to be on the court i mean that's the biggest hammer you know you want to be on the court so today in in the practice i was at there was a chair in the corner and only half kiddingly i said to the head coach that kid doesn't call the next ball tell her go sit over there until she's ready ready to come back in that's not punishment it's a privilege to be on the court it's 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 accountability and I connecting connecting to that and then we can use maybe use this as the uh, as our jumping off point we've I've, we've kept you for quite a while and we are very fortunate to to have you and we're grateful for the time the recently with with title nine and everything the AVCA has now gone on behalf of of college volleyball to essentially oppose what the NCAA is doing with practices. I believe the number is 17 practices that volleyball yeah. gets in the preseason. Um, yeah. Football is the, as the other side of that gets their 30 and then they've got eight hours of, of contact a week, whether it's meetings, video, stuff like that. Is this, is this something you could see it's, changing? Is it, is it obviously well, it's a, crucial? It's a clear title nine violation. You know, when you get something like Title IX, or when we gave women the right to vote, or when we gave black people the right to vote, it isn't like those things are done. You know, you continually have to fight for those things because there's other people that will, you know, not consider you. I, I remember I was talking to a friend today and I said, it wasn't until a couple of years ago I realized when the Declaration of Independence was written they weren't talking about women and they weren't talking about anything other than white men. You know, it's a beautiful document, all that about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but it had nothing to do with other people other than white men. We're still in that culture right now. We're still fighting that, that battle right now. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I think the most important thing that we can do in our schools is teach our kids critical thinking, teach them how to evaluate information and understand what's what's happening. And it's hard right now because we have a certain percentage of the population that's undermining teachers, undermining public schools. In, in my generation, we all wanted to be teachers. Now, the, uh, I saw a sign the other day, my wife's substitute teaches. Arby's is paying more than her to come in and teach. And you know, we've, we've had people, people elected in Congress that devalue education. It's, it's frightening. Well, and, and that's where hopefully that, you know, it's, there's going to be, hopefully there'll be a shift in something like, holding the NCAA accountable 
and if that comes through, that you know, it's oh, only it's, we, saw it's, it, we saw it last year in the basketball championship for the women. Their accommodations, their their food, everything. It's like why this is universities. It's NCAA. There shouldn't be any difference. Men's or women's basketball is that example, and it's 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 shocking the lengths that it almost went. They had to go to to say, well, we're not going to give them. They had to take things away. It wasn't that they just weren't giving it to them. They it, it almost they're taking things away. That you 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 said it. Yeah. Just yeah, because it, the rule is there, you've got to actually continue to build on it. And as one thing changes, you've got to adjust. Well, I've got a lot of things to say on that, but this is a sports show. And uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a Husker. I hope I hope football has the best season they can. I hope men's basketball does well. I, I want all the Husker uh, sports to succeed. I still have a lot of good friends there. But um, it's... it's it, there are, I don't know that I've ever been as disappointed with where we're at in our own country right now, you know, with, with, with how things are unfolding. Some, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. That is, that's a great way to, to leave it. I'm not going to add anything to that. You've got um, more, experience you've got more ideas and 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 more wisdom so i'm going to let that be let that be our last word so uh coach we we really do appreciate you joining us uh this evening uh looking forward to kind of seeing where your own podcast goes kind of find out how that how that works with your new um your new deal your new package sponsors things like that so uh i know husker or uh, nebraska is a volleyball state uh, it's, oh, it's yeah. amazing the amount of, you know, my own daughter, uh, my wife is a coach as well. And it's, you just, you see it, those gyms are packed. Uh, it's, it's and where does she coach? what it's, what it's done for, uh, for, for girls and women. Where does she coach? Uh, she's at, she's at a lead out in Elkhorn. Um, oh, cool. and you, something that I was thinking about, you mentioned it, um, coach Saunders, uh, a lot of her girls from Scott are uh, youth team coaches out there for some of the levels. Yeah. And you can tell, you know, and as, as, as a coach myself, what you reflect on and who you were around as a player, uh, what lessons, what uh, ideas you take from that. She's she's doing a great job because you can see that with, with how her players work with the with the young girls, how how her players coach. Um, so it's, I mean, that, that, that trickle down from when you were there, Coach Cook, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Nebraska is so fortunate. Yeah. I, and the thing that pleases me more than anything else about Nebraska, about Nebraska volleyball is what the women have done after they graduated, you know, they they are in so many fields and they're doing everything as well as they can. And that's and that's what we want, and that's fantastic. Well, th- thank you for, very much for having me on, and good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. Bye. Members of the congregation, let's raise our Kool-Aid-filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red.